first reading is taken from Exodus 33, verses 12 to 23, which is page 92 in the Church Bibles, if you're reading those. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you haven't let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favour with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favour with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, well, if your presence does not go with us, Do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face. For no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. This is the word of the Lord. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world, He was in the world, 
And though the world through him was made, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Do please take your seats. I should perhaps have mentioned earlier when I talked about the Beansheaf Chris Dingle service this afternoon that um, the reason why Carol's not here this morning, our curate Carol, is because poor thing has not been well at all and because she's been, is leading on that service at Beansheaf, she's saving herself for this afternoon in the hope that, that she'll be well enough. But let's just bow our heads for a prayer before I begin. Dear Lord, thank you for your word. We pray that you would come by your spirit, that you would help me to speak, and that you would help us all to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'd like to begin by asking you to see if you can remember the last time that you had a significant encounter with God. When I say that, I don't mean it was necessarily a huge momentous occasion. It might have been a beautiful answer to a a little prayer. It might have been something in nature. It might have been a beautiful flower that you just saw the hand of the creator on. It could have been almost anything. But just have a think about the last time you encountered God. Because the reason I ask that is that the passage from Exodus this morning, and this is the last in our series, we've been looking at Exodus since September, this passage we heard this morning from Exodus is one of the most extraordinary encounters that any human being has with God in Scripture. Because Moses says to God, Lord, show me your glory. And God says, well, okay, I will. And then he says, well, actually, that won't be good for you, but I'll put you in a cleft in the rock... And I'll pass by. Uh, That's the encounter that Moses has. It's a a fascinating account. And one of the reasons I've been thinking about this is that I think sometimes our lives feel a little bit empty of encounters with God. Which I believe are so necessary for Christian faith. And I think this passage from Exodus actually shows the the kind of recipe, the ingredients that's needed to create the conditions for an encounter with God. Now, don't get me wrong. There's no formula that if you do X, Y, and Z, God will suddenly turn up. But I think there are certainly some conditions that this passage shows us which can be helpful for us encountering God in our everyday lives. So let's have a look at those. The first one is... When things go wrong. And 
I'm going to turn back. If you've got a church Bible, I'm, I'm just uh, looking at the, the fact that chapter 32, the chapter before this one, was the story of the golden calf, Aaron and the golden calf. We heard it last week. Carol preached on it. And of course, it was a complete leadership disaster for Moses. You couldn't have imagined anything worse. Moses had just received the Ten Commandments from God, and he's up the mountain, about to come down with a stone tablet, and all of the Israelites, his people, break both the first and the second of the Ten Commandments in one fell swoop. You shall have no other gods but me, and you will not make for yourself any idols. They do both. It's a complete disaster. And you know, one of the things that I think in life is true is that very often, sometimes we think that if I just get everything right, if I just get that sorted, if I just get my life sorted out, if I just do that, if I just do that, then my relationship with God will be good. But it's not like that at all. In fact, so often we see in the Bible, like on this occasion, that some of the most powerful encounters we have with God are when everything's on the floor when things are going horribly wrong, we can turn to God and have an encounter that will take us out of that situation. So that's the first point. God often turns up when things are going wrong. The second one is also some context. The verses just before the passage that we read today are about the tent of meeting. And this is about setting time aside for God. In verse 7 of chapter 33, it says this, Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp, some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting, and whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. Moses put time aside for God and he even had a special place a tent he pitched outside the camp and when he wanted to spend time with God that's where he went and I think this is a big clue for us encountering God today in our busy lives do you know our our wonderful friend Phyllis who who died last year um, she was one of the most prayerful people I know she also carried with her a grace that came from spending time with God and when when I used to visit her in her house, in her flat, she had this little alcove, where, but with a window and a chair beside it. And, and I mean, she, you know, she lived on her own in the flat. She could have easily prayed in her sitting room. But she went to this little alcove whenever she wanted to pray. And it was her tent of meeting. It was her special place to be with God. And she put time aside every day to pray. And you saw it in her life so clearly. And so that's a, that's a second ingredient, is it's in our busy lives, it can be difficult, but it's so important to set time aside, find a special place. For me, it's in my study. Um, it, it doesn't have to be a separate room or a tent outside the camp. It can just be the corner of your sitting room or wherever or your bedroom. But set aside time, find a special place to be with God. The third thing is about being vulnerable. And now we're sort of Get, we've, we've sort of had the context and now we're into the passage that we had this morning. And Moses, despite the fact that he's a, a great, he's a leader of all the Israelites, the fact that he's, um, he's seen God do amazing things, parting the Red Sea, taking the Israelites out of Egypt, despite that, he comes open-handed in vulnerability 
and tells God exactly what he's anxious about, exactly what he's worried about. He says in verse 12, uh, he says to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. And then in verse 15, he says, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us from here. How will anyone know you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? Moses, Moses comes in vulnerability. He comes in, in honesty. And that's how we need to be if we want to encounter God. Because if we come to God with an attitude of, oh, well, I've, I've been to church 52 times this year and I've done my morning prayer and all the rest of it, I, I'm pretty all right. I don't think that's the attitude that, that builds a relationship with God. There's a story in the New Testament Jesus tells about the Pharisee and the tax collector. I don't know if you remember it. But they both come to the temple, the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the Pharisee sort of stands before the temple and says, Lord, I'm glad I'm not like other people. I'm glad I give a tenth of my money. I'm glad I do this. I'm glad I do that. And the, and the tax collector comes up and says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says that the tax collector and not the Pharisee went away in a right relationship with God. And so we need to be vulnerable. We need to be open with God to encounter him. The fourth thing is that we also need to be bold and ask God for the encounters. There's a, in, in verse 18, Moses says to, the, to, to God, he says, now show me your glory. He just says it straight out. Show me your glory. It's a really bold ask. And in fact, I was having a look at that. And, and I found a sermon by the great preacher, Charles Spurgeon, that he preached in 1908 in New Park Street Chapel in Southwark. And the sermon was all on this one verse, Lord, show me your glory. And, and he says, this is what he says, that was a large request to make. He couldn't have asked for more. Lord, show me your glory. Why? It's the greatest petition that man ever asked of God. Had he requested a fiery chariot to whirl him up to heaven? Had he asked to cleave the water floods and drown the chivalry of a nation? Had he prayed to the Almighty to send fire from heaven to consume whole armies? I could have found a parallel to his prayer. But when he offers this petition, Lord, show me your glory, he stands alone, a giant among giants, a colossus. His request surpasses that of any other man. I'm surprised that Moses himself should have been bold enough to supplicate so wondrous a favour. And this is my favourite bit. Surely after he had uttered the desire, his bones must have trembled, his blood curdled in his veins, and his hair must have stood on end. Gosh, we don't, don't preach like that these days, do we? Fantastic. What a bold, what a bold thing Moses does. He says, Lord, show me your glory. And I think we need to be bold and ask God too. Lord, rend the heavens and come down. I need you in this situation. Because when we ask, God grants the encounter. He grants the encounter with Moses. The fourth point, the fifth point, um, is that we need to be teachable. Moses says in verse um, 13, he says, if you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favour with you. Again, here's this great man of God who's done so much for God, with God, 
with the people of Israel. And yet he's still saying, Lord, teach me your ways. I want to learn more. I want to learn more about you. And I think teachability has two facets to it. And the first is that we have to listen. To be teachable, we have to listen. And so we need to be prayerful. We need to be listening to God through his word, reading the Bible, um, and praying and listening to see what he might be saying to us. But secondly, you're only teachable if you're prepared to do what God then speaks to you about. It's absolutely no good if, if you sense God is telling you to forgive that person or give to this or to serve there, if you turn away from that and say, no, thank you very much, well, you're not going to encounter God very much, are we? Because it's just like putting your hand out and saying, no, thanks. No, I don't want that. And Moses was, of, of all the characteristics that he had, he was absolutely obedient to God. He did exactly what God asked of him, time after time after time. And he had the greatest encounters with God. And so being teachable is really important. And finally, and perhaps most strangely, is this phrase, watching God's back. And that comes from the final paragraph of of our passage. I'll explain what I mean by that. The final paragraph, Moses has said, Lord, show me your glory. And God has said to him, look, you know, that would be too much for you. That would kill you. But here's what I'll do. He says, there's a place near me where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. And I was wondering about what it meant to see God's back. And so I I did a little bit of research. And it turns out that the Hebrew word that's used there for back, it's not anatomical. It's, It's not about your spine or your shoulders or your back in that sense. It's a word that means something much more like seeing God from behind. Another translator says that it's more like the sense of seeing where God has been rather than seeing God himself, seeing where he has been. And I was trying to get my head around it. I was trying to think of an analogy. And the best one I could come up with, I think, was, was a bit like, imagine you're on the beach and a boat goes past. And it's a bit like rather than seeing the boat, it's like seeing the wake that the boat has made. It's seeing where the boat has been. And that's the sense of that word. And uh, and I found that really helpful because I think what it's helping us to see is how important it is to lead reflective lives, to looking back and seeing, reflecting on what's happened and seeing God's hand in all of those situations. Do you remember the story on the Emmaus Road, the, uh, the two disciples on the Emmaus Road, the encounter with the stranger who turned out to be Jesus? It's after the, the crucifixion and the resurrection, and two disciples are walking to Emmaus, away from Jerusalem. They're dejected because Jesus is dead. They, they, they know the body's gone from the tomb, but um, they, they think it's the end of everything. And this stranger joins them. And, and they start pouring out their, their, their hearts to the stranger and, and saying, you know, this has all happened, we don't know what's happening. And the stranger says, 
are you so slow? And he starts explaining to it. The way he does it is that he says, starting with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what must be. And, and so the stranger who is Jesus shows God's hand in the world from the, from the very beginning right up to the present moment to show that Jesus had to come and had to die and rise again. And it's, the, the text says that his, their hearts were strangely warmed as they encounter God in, in, in looking back. And then when Jesus breaks the bread over the meal in the evening, they suddenly realise, the scales fall from their eyes, they suddenly realise that they are indeed encountering God in front of them. And I, I, I just thought of, a, of a, a little example that's happened recently over the appointment of our new youth pastor. Um, I'm delighted to be able to tell you, it's in the news sheet as well, that we've appointed a new youth pastor after our latest round of interviews. But back in the summer, we'd interviewed for a youth pastor. We had, we'd, we'd interviewed a couple of people. I'd gone out and, 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 and found some additional funding to help us get the youth work up and running. And some people came and, and interviewed with us, and we just didn't feel it was right. And I, I remember thinking, God, where are you in this? Because I thought that everything was, the ducks were all being lined up in a row and the funding was in place and we had people for an interview and yet it just didn't seem right. And I thought, God, where are you? But, you know, looking back from the perspective now, looking at where God has been in this situation has been revealing because I think God was telling us that St. Matthew's wasn't ready for a youth worker in the summer and one of the reasons St. Matthew's wasn't ready is because we weren't trusting God for the funding. I, uh, I was so perhaps anxious that, we, that we, had, uh, we had sufficient funding. I'd gone out, gone back to Greyfriars, who'd funded our, initially our children's work. And I'd said, would you fund our, our youth worker for a couple of years? And they very kindly agreed to it. But I think God wanted us to trust him for the provision. Because interestingly, two weeks before we interviewed this time, the PCC made a decision to turn down the additional funding from Greyfriars. We felt that it was right the church should stand on its own two feet and not go out to ask others for funding. And two weeks later, I think the person who God had his hand on walked through the door and sat down for the interview. And so do you see how it's, it's in the looking back? We see God's hand on events and we encounter God. We say, there you were, God. I see it now. There you were. And ultimately, of course, we look back to a moment in history when Jesus went to the cross because God wanted the relationship between us and him restored. And it's on the cross and, the res- and through the resurrection that we see the greatest encounter that God has ever given human beings. God himself coming to earth as a little baby in that first Christmas and then dying for our sins on the cross and rising to new life. That, of course, is the greatest encounter and the one on which everything else hangs. And so... If we go back to the question I started with and say, when was the last time you encountered God? You may have one of two reactions. You may be thinking now, oh, the penny's dropped. I see what you mean. I, yeah, I, I remember. I can, 
the last time I sort of saw God's hand on my life. Or maybe the penny's dropped in a different way and you're thinking, oh yes, I can see now two or three reasons why perhaps I'm not encountering God very much in my life. But if that's you, then that can be put right straight away. And my my invitation to you this morning is when you come up for communion, when you come up to share in the bread and wine today, bring with you those things that maybe are a barrier between you encountering God. Maybe that person that you know you're supposed to forgive and you still haven't been able to. Maybe the thing you're holding on to because you're worried that if you let go of it, you won't have what you need. Whatever it may be, maybe it's that time that you haven't been setting aside to spend with God and inviting him for the encounter. But bring it up. When you come up for the bread and the wine, bring it up. Give it to God as you receive the bread and wine. And my prayer is that all of us here at St. Matthew's will encounter God in a really special way this Christmas. Amen. Just one thing before we, before we um, sing. Um, some people were praying before the service, and, um, and, and one person, as they were praying, had just a kind of a picture in their mind while they were praying of a string of broken pearls. And um, if that resonates with you, then I'd invite you to come up for prayer after the service. The prayer ministry team will be here. Um, it may... It may mean something to you. It may refer to something um, in your life. If that's you, do come up for prayer after the service.